one. Boom. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. All right, look, if you have a service-based business, then this episode is one that you're going to want to pay attention to, learn how to generate some revenue, some more sales, and just scale that baby. So let's get this one on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real-life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Boss! Are you a service-based business owner looking to scale your company and drive more revenue? Do you find yourself struggling to, to develop effective sales strategies or manage your team's workflow? Well, you're in luck. Our guest today is a serial entrepreneur and industry-leading business and sales management consultant with a proven track record of success in multiple industries. With his experience turning around struggling companies and driving billions of dollars in sales, he's here to share his insight and expertise with us. So if you're ready to take your business to the next level, now's the time to tune in. Without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Brian Wynn. All right, Brian, now we can get the party started. Welcome to the program. Hey, man, thanks for having me today. This is going to be fun. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Service-based businesses are usually the ones everybody starts off with. I mean, I got to I got to say, like, for me, the, the hardest thing was at first going from being a solo run service based business to then having people that work with me. Let me ask you about that aspect of it. And you can tell me a little bit about your history as well. How'd you end up dealing with managing with teams and workflows? Like what strategies did you find to be most effective when streamlining the process? You know, it's interesting if you go back and you look at most people that start off like what you were talking about. We start off as solopreneurs and we end up building these companies most of the time. Some people don't. But most of success I have found in whatever it is you're doing is a progression of ideas, a progression of learning and a progression of getting from where you start to where you end up. And you just learn along the way. Right. So I find that most people have learned as they've, as they've built their companies. Now I say that with one caveat, because there is a way to speed that process up that most people don't take advantage of. And that's by bringing in an actual coach that has been there and done that. They can actually help you skip some of the lessons that you need to learn in order to get where you want to go. So in our case, we just built teams and we brought in people and we promoted them into the positions. We let them learn. We let them fail, which is very important. You got to let people fail so that they learn what to do right. And then they grow into the roles that they're in. What was the, what was the first business venture that you got into where you kind of had to go through that little growth phase? Give me that, that little story. You know, I, my first business was landscaping and I had started, I worked for a landscaping company for like two weeks. And then I thought, I mean, how hard is it to mow grass and how hard is it to dig a hole and plant a bush? So I started with me and my wife, uh, and we started our own little grass mowing business back in 1987. And then we grew from there and I hired my first employee and there were three of us. And then I hired two more and then my wife stopped working and we just started building. And eight years later, we had seven franchises of that company, you know, all over the city of Atlanta. Um, and probably about 50 people working for us at that time. But it's, it's always a struggle when you're, when you're young and when you're growing and you haven't done something like that before. 
That's crazy. I mean, to go from just mowing lawns and working for somebody to having seven different uh, franchises around a state, that's a huge, uh, a huge increase in, in what you're doing. To me, the sales side has always been probably one of the most difficult things. I mean, when you're mowing lawns and you're doing a great job, you're going to have people that are going to refer you business, but you can't be a hundred percent on the on the referral side as far as growth is concerned you got to have some sort of outbound sales strategy that goes in place or what what are some common mistakes that you see maybe business owners make when it comes to sales and how can they avoid them so they don't end up just being in that referral based business their entire careers well so there's a couple of concepts here that we talk about a lot and one of them is who you are in your business if you're growing a business and you've got a team a lot of people that start off uh, in their own business aren't salespeople, but they try to be salespeople and that's where they fail. So we talk, we talk about this a lot. When people start businesses, more than likely they are a technician or a specialist. They know what they're doing. I call it Joe, the plumber syndrome, right? Joe's a plumber. He works for another company. Joe knows he's billing at 150 an hour and he's getting paid 50. He knows the company's making hundred. And one day Joe wakes up and says, I'm going to start my own business. And that's how many, many, many businesses start in this country. So Joe goes into business for himself thinking it's all about plumbing and it's not. There's a business behind the business of plumbing that Joe doesn't understand. And so while Joe's out plumbing, much like you said, he's not answering the phone. He's not taking calls. He's not out selling if Joe can even sell. And so Joe's business stagnates. And for Joe to really grow that business, he's going to have to bring other people into the organization that know how to do the things that he doesn't know how to or doesn't want to do. In this case, it might be sales. You got to bring in a salesperson to go sell while you're out doing the plumbing work or you're a salesperson, you start a business, but you're not the technician. You, you may be the one doing the sales and you got to hire the technician. Every business owner that wants to grow needs to backfill positions within their company where they are weak and let them do what they are good at. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. I mean, we, we're, we're good at what we're good at. And I, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, you should work on those weaknesses. Um, and then I hear a lot more entrepreneurs that have been successful after, I mean, I've interviewed over 900 different entrepreneurs and there's a common trend. A lot of them don't work on what they're weak on. They double down on what they're good on 100%. and then bring on people who are strong in those areas that are, that are missing. Um, when you, when you talk about growing and scaling some of these businesses, sometimes it's starting from scratch. Other times it's acquiring companies that are already struggling and you can come in and kind of turn them around. I'd imagine when you're, when you're looking at some of these companies, they're pretty much having the same issues that you're describing here. And what's some of the first things that you do to kind of evaluate a business, whether it's something that you want to take on and even better, something that you can turn around. Yep. This is an easy one. So if you're going to go into acquisition phase, there is a big difference between a distressed business and a distressed owner. Mm. Okay. That is a big selling point. So if I go in and I evaluate a business and I find out that they have a good business, they might have a good product. They might have a good market, but the owner doesn't know what he's doing or the owner is making classic critical mistakes within his business. That's the kind of business that I can go in, buy, fix those basic mistakes he's been making. And I've got a business that's going to make a lot of money. If you've got a business that's just struggling, that's a completely different thing. So I'm not one to go in and try to turn around a business that's just a failing business. But if I find a distressed owner, I'll buy that business every day. So what what's the difference? Let's break it down a little bit because I think I think sometimes, especially when you're early on and you're wearing a lot of hats, you feel like a distressed owner, and it <laughs> and it might feel like your business is distressed. 
but you it's it, it might be just you how can we how, how do you tell the difference between a distressed owner and distressed business p l analysis and this is one of the things i'm very good at and one of the things i tell entrepreneurs that they need to learn p l they need to learn some basic accounting not because they need to do the accounting they can have somebody else do it but they need to understand what they're looking at and if you can go in and take somebody's p l and you can go backwards in time i call this historical pattern recognition and you can look at that p l and if you know some basics about an industry, like, like I'll give you a, for instance, I own a little chain of restaurants, right? And I know that if I go in and I look at a restaurant that I want to buy, I know that my food cost should be at 32%. If their food cost is at 45, I know their problem is they're overpaying for food or they're underpricing their product. I know that labor should be at 28%. If I go in and look at their labor and it's running 35%, I know that they have a management problem with their labor force. I know their liquor should be at 22%. If I'm looking at 35, I know their bartenders are giving away alcohol. This is a distressed owner because he doesn't understand the metrics within his business. So if I find the metrics are out of balance, I know I can buy that, bring the metrics down into balance and fix it. Okay. If I go in and all the metrics are good, then I know the only problem in his business is really revenue. And revenue is something that's very, very difficult to fix in a business, particularly if you have launched and created a reputation or created uh, an environment in your business that has kept you from growing. So I would rather find a business that has revenue with bad metrics because that's something I know I can fix very quickly and then I can make it go. And the biggest Sounds problem like with these entrepreneurs, by the way, is they just don't understand the metrics. You'd be surprised how many business owners don't know their numbers. We go in and look at businesses and I, the first thing I, I always ask an entrepreneur is I say, give me your P&Ls over the last 24 months, month by month, lined up on an Excel spreadsheet so I can look at it and do an analysis. Eight out of 10 times, they don't have it. That, well, we don't do that kind of stuff. We just have our accountant come in every six months and throw everything into a PL. Like, you have no idea what you're doing. Common, the numbers, common mistake. The numbers don't lie. I mean, that's, that's the plain and simple truth. And I like how you described it there because essentially what you're saying is, Become that expert in your industry. Know how the how in your industry these things operate, so you can look at a PL and understand whether you're above what they're doing or you're below, and you have something to fix. In your experience, what are some of the most important qualities that a successful entrepreneur is got to have, or or that they got to cultivate? You mentioned the accounting side. Um, what about in industry specific? Well, every industry is going to have those metrics. For, for instance, I told you in a restaurant, it's going to be those four metrics, food, liquor, labor, uh, and uh, revenue, right? So if I go in, you know, I own an insurance company. I know that I have marketing costs. I have variable and fixed costs. I have to look at what my sales is costing me from the bottom up. In fact, I, I gave you a little tidbit here. When we look at companies, we always do P&L analysis from the bottom up and not the top down. If you look at an organization from the top down, you can be fooled into what you've got. If you look at it from the bottom up, and this is a much longer discussion, I can get into exact metrics about what they should be, where people are profitable and where they're not. And then I can make a company more profitable with less revenue and less overhead. But that's what we call bottom up P&L. But from an owner's perspective, you have to understand the numbers. But the second thing you have to understand, and I tell young entrepreneurs this all the time, if you have not run a successful company prior to starting this one, then here's the dirty little secret. You don't know what you're doing. Mm. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're setting yourself up to make a thousand mistakes. And those mistakes is what you talked about earlier, where you get these distressed owners, entrepreneurs, and they're, they're burning out and they're working 80 hours a week and they're trying to figure everything out on their own. And the thing that they fail to do nine times out of 10 
is to go find some help. And that's an ego problem, right? They always, entrepreneurs are hard charger, they're red color, they're A personalities. They, they think they have all the answers. They want to make all the decisions. And the smarter thing to do would be to find that somebody, find a coach, find a mentor, bring them in. Somebody who's done it before, they can say, no, no, no. Don't do that. That's going to fail. Do this. This is the way this works. And this will cut six months off of your learning curve. So know your numbers, find somebody that can help you and you will accelerate your growth. You will accelerate your profit. You will accelerate your business exponentially. Mentorship, mentorship, mentorship. It makes all the difference in the world. Um, you got a lot of business owners that struggle with time and resources. And oftentimes having that mentor will definitely help curve that, save you time and give you an open up door to a lot of different resources. Um, you mentioned that revenue is kind of not something that you can really uh, grow in the re in the restaurant business. What about in the insurance space? I know there's a lot more marketing that is involved. It's also one of the most competitive marketing spaces that are out there what are some maybe low, low cost high impact things that people can do to kind of improve their marketing strategies to help grow their business a little bit so in the insurance field and i was in the insurance field for 20 years i built billion dollar call centers in the health insurance life insurance space i will tell you that the lead cost is going to be the biggest challenge right you've got to be able to bring those leads in the door but because that market is so saturated and it's so difficult and there's so much competition the difference between success or failure is going to be your ability to train your team to get a better close rate and a higher ROI, which could include multiple product sales in order to drive that revenue and drive that profit margin up. For instance, when we, we know in the insurance industry that if you sell somebody one product, they'll probably have a nine month retention. If you sell them two, it goes up to maybe a year and a half. If you sell them three, you potentially have a customer for life because they don't want to mess with all their changes, right? So we always measure sales in the insurance industry by how many products per sale you made, right? If we're selling 1.5 or 2.1 products per customer, we know that we're gonna have a better retention rate. Plus the ROI on our marketing dollars is much, much better if I sell them two products because the cost went into the first one, the second product you sold them was actually free. You have no marketing cost in it. So you, you need to learn to bring add-on products or what we call ancillary sales onto the main product in order for insurance sales to work based on the marketing costs that are out there today. Yeah, and this is why a lot of PNC agencies go with bundles, right? Home, auto, maybe yes. an umbrella. Um, you have the small business, you have a BOP or commercial workers comp. Because like you said, the higher the policy count on those insurance uh, insurance clients, the more likely it is that they're going to stick yep. around. Um, the market is is shifting. There's a lot of changes that are going on. Everything from, you know, war potentially to uh, AI coming out. The market's just always always changing and it feels like more drastically today than than ever before what do you see are some of the biggest challenges facing service-based businesses in the next maybe five to ten years and and how do you think they could prepare for that so we talked about this during COVID a lot too when COVID hit when COVID hit it thinned out the herd and it thinned out the herd meaning that the weak players were bounced out of the market and the stronger players were able to survive Every time you get a market downturn like this, the same thing is going to happen, right? It's easy to make money when everything's flown and the cash is gone and the people are walking in and they're buying your product. But when things get tough, this is where you need to really, really buckle down as a business owner and entrepreneur and make sure you got those numbers in line. A, you need to make sure you have a cash, uh, cash 
set aside in your business to get you through some tough times. That is a critical factor. And B, you need to start thinning those margins out as much as you can to drive the most profit out of the business you've got today. So lowering your fixed costs in a business, putting enough cash aside to get you through the hard times, understand those numbers to a T and maximize what you're doing on every single sale or every single product. And that's when it, that's what's going to keep you in business where a lot of folks, they're going to fall out. And it's just the way it works. Yeah. Managing those funds uh, is, is, it sounds easy, but it's not always the easiest to do. And you kind of mentioned this already a couple of times, know your numbers. First of all, you should be taking care of your numbers on a regular basis. Next to that is know the numbers in that particular industry. And then what you just mentioned is, is squeeze some of those margins and have some of those reserves in place so that basically you can go through some of these ups and downs in the market and right. still come out on top. Is there anything else that, especially, like in the restaurant industry, we you you mentioned COVID, and I was thinking about the restaurant industry and the overhead to run a restaurant is so massive. The overhead to start a restaurant is so massive. Any other like best practices that you might recommend for for financially managing that kind of risk and overhead? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Um, we've got a restaurant that will open. It's under construction, so it's our, our next one under construction. It will cost just over a million dollars to open. So there's a million dollars out of your pocket. That restaurant will have a break even of probably 1.5 million in sales. And what that means is that if we do $1,499,999 in sales, I will lose a dollar. Mm -hmm. My profit margin doesn't kick in until I overcome my fixed and variable cost just to keep the doors open. So that's the first thing you understand is these businesses have a fixed cost. And that's one of the things I told you, you need to be able to get down if times are tough before you can start making money. Now, restaurants are almost like any other business. And this is the next piece I tell people is you need to create a business or a product that is distinct and different than the competition in order for you to stay in business when times get tough, right? If you're just like everybody else, you're in trouble. People need to look at your business or think about your business and go, oh my gosh, I love their smash burgers and I love their drinks, right? We have this big thing in our restaurants where we call them badass drinks. That's what we call them, right? Because, you know, you've been to a restaurant or a bar and you know where they make good drinks and you know where they make lousy drinks and you don't go back to the one where they make lousy drinks. So we make the best mm -hmm. drinks in every town that we're in. So everybody knows if you're going to go out to a bar and sit and have a couple of drinks and eat, you're going to come to our place. It's a distinct thing that we've created. That can apply to any business you're doing. You have to have something that's distinct so that the customers are going to want to come to you as opposed to somebody else. That's uh, that's almost easier said than done. And I kind of want to go back to the to the opening of a restaurant. There's so much capital that's required to open a restaurant like this. Um, and you talked about your break even point being 1.5 million for for that next year when you want to break even. Um, when you're planning a restaurant like this, do you have any way of kind of knowing what that revenue is going to be ahead of time for structuring that capital that you're going to do up front? Or is this kind of like, I, I just, I've seen so many restaurants open up only to close down like a year later. Yep. So, you know, how, how do you, how do you kind of prepare for that to yep. ensure that you hit your 1.5 metric on the, on the way back? So there's a couple of things here and, and early in, and I, and I, I like to joke about this. I say as smart as I think I am, I'm nine for 
13 or nine for 14 in the restaurant business, which means I've had five failures. Okay. They were all early on when I first got in the restaurant business. And one of the things I learned early on, and to your point, too many people are a chef and they open a restaurant, but they don't know how to run a business. Mm-hmm. That, that's classic. Or they were a restaurant manager and they open a restaurant and they don't know how to run a business. I tell people all the time, just because you know how to run a restaurant as a manager doesn't mean you know how to run a business. So that's number one. Number two, we learned that if you're going to have a high chance of success in the restaurant business, you either need to be a brand or a destination. And the example I use is one of the restaurants I built from scratch. I was across the street from a very well-known brand in our town. We had better food than them. And yet on a Friday night, they had a line out the door and I had five empty tables. Mm. And the reason is because they were a brand. Everybody knew they were a brand. Everybody knew them. That's where they went. We were a nobody. Nobody knew us. And that business eventually failed. We also had a place about two miles away that's a destination. It's what we call a mixed-use development. And a mixed-use development is (coughs) apartments, townhomes, office space, restaurants, shops. You can live, work, and play there. It was always booming. And those restaurants weren't weren't very good either. So I was neither a brand nor a destination, and that's why my first sets of restaurants failed. Today, when we open restaurants, we only open them in destinations. So I know when I open this next restaurant, it's in this big mixed-use development. I know that the day I open, there are already thousands of people walking around to Top Golf and to Andretti Speed Lab. There are 1,200 apartments. They've got a giant green space, a pickleball courts. We know that we don't have to spend any money in marketing because people are going to be there anyway. And that gives us the highest probability of success. I've joked many times, if you took my, my most profitable biggest restaurant in a mixed-use development, and you moved it three miles up the road, it would probably fail mm. because it's not in the middle of everything that's going on. It's not in the action. It's not a destination. Well, what about right. the other side of that, right? So the other side of that is is developing that brand and having that long line out the yep. door. And I know exactly what you mean. I go to I'll go to downtown with the wife. Where do you want to eat? I'm like, look, that place isn't busy. And she's like, no. And she wants to go stand in line in the place that has a lot of people in it, right? Exactly. For, for good reason. For good reason. <clears throat> so how do you how do you develop like a customer satisfaction, maybe positive reviews? What are some things that you can do to ensure that customers have a positive experience that they're likely to recommend to other people or to share with other people to start developing that brand. So that's team training, right? You've got to get in there. You've got to make sure every customer in the door is satisfied. You got to make sure every table gets touched. You got to make sure every customer leaves happy. I always tell, I tell our, our staff, this is one of the things we tell them. I say, good is good and fine is bad. Okay. So here's what that means. Have you ever been in a restaurant and the waiter comes over and you know, your food really wasn't very good. And they say, well, how was everything? And you say it was fine. And really it was bad, but human nature for most people, they don't want to go. My food sucked. uh, So I didn't like it. So they just say it was fine. If it's good, you're going to say good. If it's not, you're going to say something else. And so I teach our staff, look, if you go up and you ask them a question and they say it was fine, then you know, you have a problem. When you go to their table and they're done and they're giving you their plates and the hamburger is half eaten, you know, there was a problem with the hamburger. People don't go to a restaurant so they can go in and take three bites out of a hamburger and then pay a bill and leave. So these are clues you need to learn 
that will tell you if there's something going on. And if you'll say, and I'll, I teach our staff, I say, listen, if you see a half eaten burger and they say it's okay or it's fine, you go, no, I, I don't believe you because you didn't eat it. So please tell me what's wrong. That's a, that's a tip, right? I'll tell you another one. This, this is one of my personal pet peeves, right? In the restaurant business. So my question is, uh, what are the ingredients in iced tea? This is a question. Oh, water, two ingredients, sugar, ice, and tea, right? <laughs> you ever been to a restaurant and they bring you a warm glass of tea where the, all the ice has been melted and you go, no, well, the ice is, there's no, can I get a glass of, oh, sorry, the ice melted because the tea was hot. I'm like, well, you should have saw that when you're walking over to the table and gone back and got me the ice for my iced tea, right? This is a pet peeve of mine. So I teach my staff, don't walk out to a table if all the ice is melted. That makes no sense. And people just get frustrated. And that's the first negative thing they think about your restaurant. So there's all these little tips we got to you know, teach our staff so that we make the guest experience that much better. I'll give you another one. When pe- we have a big bar in our restaurant. When you sit down at the bar, the waiter, I'm sorry, the bartender comes over and they have a card and they, they say, what's your name? My name's Brian. They write your name on the back. And they flip it over and put their name on the front. So when you're sitting at the bar, you can see the bartender's name right in front of you and they can see your name on the back. And that Mm. way, if you need something, you can say, hey, John. And when he walks over, he says, hey, Brian. And everybody knows who everybody is. And you've created a little hometown environment where everybody knows your name, not to rip (laughs) off a TV show from the 80s, but everybody knows your name. So these are little things you can do. And people love that. They're like, we love that place because we go in and everybody knows us. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tricky learned in kindergarten, and yet it's still applicable today. I teach a high school <laughs> class. I use stamps, and I it's a trick I learned from a kindergarten teacher, and it still works today. To it's funny, it's just human nature. We want to know, uh, we want some of those little appreciation things. Somebody knows your name, that's freaking awesome. If I can call the bartender by a name, that's yeah. even better. So, all right, let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, you've, you've shared a lot of great information. You are literally an entrepreneur who's trying to balance multiple business businesses in multiple industries. So how do you prioritize your time or your resources so that you make sure that you're successful in each business venture that you go on? So I have always said that I'm an expert in creating businesses that don't need me. Mm. Okay. I'm talking to you right now. I'm in Park City, Utah right? I'm on day 32 of skiing. And yet I've got businesses back in Atlanta and Florida that are running, generating revenue and paying for my lifestyle here, but I'm not there actually running them. So we create businesses that have systems, systems that I can monitor and manage. For instance, this is my iPhone right here. I can run my entire restaurant chain off of this iPhone because we have an app built in that gives me every financial metric on every restaurant. I have cameras that I can look in and see things. I get reports from my accounting department every Thursday, which shows me bills, cash, P&Ls. I get labor schedules. I get food orders. Everything can be done off of a cell phone, which allows me to live my lifestyle without having to actually be in the restaurants. I have restaurants I haven't been in in over a year, but that's because you bring good people in. One of the first things I said, you train them, allow them to fail when they fail, but train them to run the operation and put yourself in a position where you don't have to be there. That's and that's how you best, do it. That's the best kind of business to be in. And, and all right, well, what about for those entrepreneurs who are just starting out? Like that is always, it's always amazing to hear people like yourself who have achieved that level of success. And we kind of talked about the first, you know, five businesses or five restaurants that you kind of failed at. So what advice would you give for an entrepreneur starting out 
so that they can build a strong foundation for their business and avoid maybe, you know, maybe they only fail once or twice or maybe three times instead of five times. <laughs> so the key to this for a, a young or starting out entrepreneur is what I call securing your building block lifestyle. Okay. So when you start to build a business, there's different levels of, of success in business. And the first level of success, we call it is being able to pay the bills, right? When I start a business, the first thing I want to do is pay the bills. If we start to become a little bit more successful, the second thing we do is we start to go into what we call the accumulation phase, right? The accumulation phase is where, oh my gosh, I'm making money. I'm going to go buy a bunch of toys, right? You know, when I started to make a lot of money, I bought a, a boat and I bought a plane and I bought wave runners and I bought a beach house and a lake house and I started buying all this stuff. The third phase is when you start, you get done buying all this stuff and you go, oh my gosh, now I got a bunch of stuff that cost me a lot of money and it breaks. Now we go into the third phase, which is what we call the... Um, <laughs> yeah. It's what we call the savings phase, right? In the savings phase, we start stashing money away to protect our lifestyle. And then the fourth phase is what we call the legacy phase. So these are the four phases of, of entrepreneurship and success. Now, as you're starting to build, the, the mistake most people make is they go into the accumulation phase too quick. And so hmm. what I tell people is whatever lifestyle that you're at when you start your business, secure that lifestyle first. And when I say secure it, I mean generate enough money in the bank, assets or investments, or just income in your business that your lifestyle is secure. You've got that cash put aside. You're not going to get in trouble if bad times come. Secure that building block of lifestyle. From there, once it's secured, and that's, again, cash in the bank, investments and whatnot, then and only then move your lifestyle up. And if you move your lifestyle up, your next goal is to secure your next building block. And if you will secure each building block over time, you can have an amazing life and do anything you want. And you know that each time you do that, you have enough money in the bank, investments, cash flow, and whatnot that you can never be hurt. And that's really the key. So bust your tail in the beginning. Don't raise your lifestyle. Secure it. Get your investments. Then start moving things up. And you'll grow in a much safer manner than people who just go out and start you know, blowing it and thinking they're killing it. It'll, it'll last longer. I think I feel a lot better if I knew, I don't know, my, I didn't have to worry about my mortgage anymore in this particular lifestyle. But if I wanted to go on vacation, I could do stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, like the, I like the gradual progression. Secure this, move up. Secure this, move up. Secure so this, move up. The story behind it is when my landscaping days, I was uh, doing landscaping for the third baseman for the Atlanta Braves. This is back in the 90s when they were worst to first. He was a new first baseman, came in from St. Louis. I'm landscaping his house and, and I remember talking to him one day and I, and his name was Terry. And I said, Hey, Terry, tell me about all these athletes that go broke. And he said, man, these guys start making a little bit of money and they think they're going to go from millionaires to billionaires and they blow it all. And then you have going broke because their career ends and then they have no cash and whatnot. He goes, I have all the money I've ever made and it's in the bank. I have a McDonald's lifestyle. And I said, what is a McDonald's lifestyle? He goes, it's my safety net. I know for a fact that if I lose my baseball career today, I could work at McDonald's and keep my lifestyle. Yep. That's my McDonald's safety net. So I have always maintained the McDonald's safety net, secure that building block. So if something happens, I can go to McDonald's and get a job and still keep my house and my cars and you know, whatever else. Boom. Brian, you've shared so much great information today. Thank you very much for coming on the program. Before we head out, I'm, I want to give you the final word. If people want to reach out, learn more about what it is you do, uh, how can they do that? Sure. I have a website. It's 
www.brianwillmedia.com. And I've got podcasts on there. My books are on there. Uh, lots of interviews with other folks like yourself. So everything about me is on that website. Perfect. Brian, thank you very much for coming on the program today, man. I know uh, students here gained a lot of useful information. I love the simplicity, especially the last question I asked you for starting off advice. I love the security move up a little bit. It's very basic because you're designing the life that you want. And these are just pathways that you can go on, secure yourself and kind of move forward. So thank you very much for coming on the program. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, one more time, his website's going across the bottom, brianwillmedia.com, brianwillmedia.com. Make sure you guys check it out. And Brian, thank you once more for coming on the program. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Look, there's people out there who have already done what you're trying to do. They already have the expertise. They've already made all the mistakes. So why are you going to sit there and try to make the same mistakes? Get out of your own way. Find a mentor. Get the help you're looking for. And then achieve the success that you want. Secure it. Move on. Secure it. Move on. Brian, thank you very much for coming on the program. Appreciate ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.